In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we'll begin in verse, let's see, 11. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, perfect means complete, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We're going to read verse 15 and 16 again. I want you to notice in particular what he's saying in these two verses. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom, from Jesus, the head, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, I don't know about you, but the first several times I read that, I didn't understand what it meant. It's something about the way it's worded in the King James. I don't know. It just kind of runs on, and you're just left scratching your head if you're not careful. <laughs> and I, I'm going to be honest. You know what I'm talking about. But you, what you have to do is you have to stop and break it down into smaller parts, and sometimes it helps to look in other translations to see how that it's worded. Let me read you a couple of other translations to see what he's saying in verse 16 here. He said in this translation, it says, From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. That's enlightening, isn't it? Listen to another translation. It says, Dependent on him. How many know the whole body is dependent on him? Every one of us, the individuals and the whole, we're dependent on Him. It's various parts closely fitting and firmly adhering to one another. That's good, isn't it? Closely fitting and firmly adhering to one another grows by the aid of every contributory ligament with power proportioned to the need of each individual part so as to build itself up in the spirit of love. I like this translation in particular. It says, For from him the whole body, closely joined and knit together by the contact of every part with the source of its life, derives its power to grow in proportion to the vigor of each individual part, and so is being built up in a spirit of love. All those are good, aren't they? It helps us to understand what he's talking about. What he is telling us about is what Paul taught in every church that he went to, every epistle that he wrote. He used this example of the body, comparing the body of Christ to the human body. And he always said Christ is the head and we are the body. See, the rest of the body. He's the head, we're the body. If there's one great truth in, in the epistles that you'll see repeated again and again, this is one of them. The truth of the body of Christ. And as always, the Lord teaches us about spiritual things by comparing them to natural things. Now, you know, there's a misconception that some folk have. Some people in their minds, they, they think, well, you got natural things and then you got spiritual things. And natural things are nothing at all like spiritual things and spiritual things are nothing at all like natural things. But nothing could be further from the truth. Did you know that everything that's in the natural is patterned after something in the Spirit? Amen. Amen. Romans 1.20 gives us enlightening words along that line. It says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, 
So how do we understand invisible spiritual things? By comparing them to natural seen things. I mean, that's the way Jesus always taught, wasn't it? He said, how can I explain to you the kingdom of God? And then he would say, it is like... And he had mentioned something that's natural. It is like a man fishing, like a man planting seed. Amen. Like something that they all worked with and knew about. And he said, well, that's what this is like. Well, what is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ like? All of us who are born again and we're part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is that like? He said, it's like a body. It's like a human body. And he said, Jesus is the head of this body. And you and I are somewhere between there and the feet, the bottom of the feet. Amen. 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 The Bible tells us that there was a day when you and I were baptized into the body of Christ. Now, I want us to think about this. Go back over to 1 Corinthians 11, where you are perhaps holding your place. This is what we call the great communion chapter, or the Lord's Supper portion of Scripture. And he talks about here the observing of the elements, about taking of the cup, which represented the blood, taking of the bread, which represented the body of the Lord Jesus. And in this particular situation, he is actually rebuking and correcting the church at Corinth because they were not observing the Lord's Supper properly. In fact, if you just back up and let's read a verse or two of it there, in 1 Corinthians 11, He said uh, in verse 20, he said, When you come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. Everybody say his own. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So he's correcting them, isn't he? Why? Because when they came to observe the Lord's Supper, they did not have the right concept of what they were doing. But they were gluttonous, and they got drunk, and he said they were just seeking to fulfill their own appetite, and each one sought after his own. Now, how many believe in God with me today? Amen. I trust that you are. I don't know whether you know this or not, but utterance is greatly affected by the hearer's capacity to receive as well as the minister's capacity to yield. It's not just all riding on the minister, but it's not just all riding on the hearer either. I mean, it's a joint thing. But I've got a lot of things in my heart, a lot of things, and the Lord's given me some things just in the last few days about this that I'd like to share with you. Amen. But we got to get it out right. And it's a joint team effort. Amen. 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 You believe God. You expect. And I'll do the best I know how. And God will minister to us. Amen. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 11, I said, did you note there that it said, verse 21, in eating everyone takes before other his own supper. And this is a key to understanding that they have the wrong mentality about the whole thing. Did you know that natural things show forth spiritual things? A lot of times people's natural actions show up spiritual problems. They really do. And it wasn't just a matter that when they came to eat that they were, you know, sloppy and and overate and everything. It showed a bigger problem of a heart that was selfish and unconcerned about the rest of the body. Do you see that? See, all this goes together, doesn't it? Most of you that know something about the Scriptures, you know where I'm getting to eventually here, down the latter portion of this Scripture. And let's just go ahead and read it, since you've got it on your mind. You know, he told them that they weren't observing this properly. But verse 28, let me read verse 27 as well. It said, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, or that is, in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, or in an unworthy manner, eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. 
And it goes on to say, for this cause, or for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Now, did you hear that? Tarry means wait. Wait one for another. Let me just remind you of a verse of Scripture. In Philippians 2, 4, it said, Look not everyone on his own things. But see, you're supposed to be interested in your brother's and your sister's needs. And one of the things that he was rebuking them about is back over in verse 22, he said what? He said, don't you have houses to eat in and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not. Did you hear that? Shame them that have not. Now see what they were obviously doing from this, you can see that there are apparently some people in the church that had money and they could afford you know, more extravagant things to eat and maybe lots more quantity or whatever. And so they brought all of this fancy food, so to speak, and in addition to their, their bread and their drink and what have you. And they just had a feast and they just were gluttonous and got drunk too. And we're, obviously there were other folk there that were living on poverty level and they didn't have enough to get satisfied. Much less all the extravagant And as they looked on, you see, they were embarrassed. Because these folk had so much and they had so little and they had this quality of stuff and these had, you know, this low quality of stuff. And that provoked the Lord to anger. Are you listening? Now, you know, some folk have, you know, tried to take one scripture and just make it a blanket statement over everything. And so many times that's not the case at all. It's just that he's emphasizing one point. And the Bible says you've got to rightly divide the Scriptures. Well, how would you rightly divide a verse? Well, you do it with other verses. You rightly divide a Scripture with other Scriptures. That's what gives you the well-rounded idea. Here's a good, good way to keep you out of wrong interpretations. This has happened to me. I'll just be honest enough about it. Ministers, Any minister, I think, that's done very much speaking and teaching and preparing would have to say that they've done this, but... A lot of them might not, but there's been times before I, I got a revelation, you know, and I thought, man, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's what that verse means. And boy, I took off on it. And I made about a half a page of notes or something, and then I thought of this other verse. And I thought, well, now, I no, if, if that's so, then this can't be so, Right? And a lot of times if folk would have just read the few verses in front of that verse and the few verses after it, they could have seen, no, no, that interpretation can't be right. Because if if an interpretation is at odds with any portion of the Scripture anywhere else, it's not right. It's not right. Somebody said, what happened to that sermon? Got filed in number 13. That's it. Forget it. Some folks should have filed theirs. But they didn't. Went ahead and preached them and led folk astray. But you rightly divide Scripture with other Scriptures. One Scripture that I'm thinking of along the same line is the Scripture over in Matthew. What is it, about the sixth chapter? Where it talks about doing your alms before men. And it says when you do your alms before men, you're not supposed to let your left hand know what your right hand does or or vice versa, whatever. You're not supposed to... uh, do it openly. He said, the Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites that would blow a trumpet. Da-da-da! Dr. So-and-so is giving a gift to the poor. <laughs> and everybody would stop. Oh, Dr. So-and-so. Scribes, see? Scribe means they doctors of the law. He said, Dr. So-and-so is giving a gift to the poor. And everybody would stop. And the poor man would go, oh, yeah, thank you, great doctor, you know. Well, see, that's, that's humiliating to the poor man or woman. And that's one of the main reasons why the Lord said don't do it. Of course, there's the issue there of somebody trying to be seen and noticed. But I think even a bigger issue is that you're humiliating and embarrassing somebody needlessly. And that's why he said in that kind of situation, don't let anybody know what you did. 
And see, sometimes people will try to take that verse and just apply it to all offerings and they say, well, it's wrong for somebody to stand up and offer and say, well, I'm going to give such and such. No, now that's taking it too far. Alms is giving to the poor. And that's what he's talking about in that chapter is giving to the poor. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? When somebody take a verse and try to make it a blanket statement, and I've seen people, bless their hearts, just get offended because somebody stood up and said, well, I just feel in my heart that I ought to give this in the offering and this. Well, certainly people could have a wrong motive in that. But on the other hand, it could be Holy Ghost. And yet people will try to take one isolated portion of Scripture and say, well, no, that said you're not supposed to let anybody know what you're doing. He's talking about alms giving. That means giving to the poor. So you don't try to take that and make it a blanket statement over any kind of offering or any kind of giving or else you get in trouble. You'll do something wrong. So God does not like the poor to be humiliated and embarrassed. That's being inconsiderate. Maybe you have been in situations, but I have been in situations where I was so uncomfortable. Somebody was going to do something for somebody. And the way they did it just made me ache for the individual that was supposedly receiving this grand help. You know what I'm saying? Because they brought it up in front of everybody that so-and-so is about to lose their car or so-and-so is about to have their electricity cut off or so-and-so hadn't had anything to eat for the last three days because they didn't have any money or whatever, you know. And I just feel in my heart that I should do that. Well, you don't have to do all that. You know what I'm saying? The Bible said do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Maybe you'd like your need to be met, but would you want your need to be flaunted in front of everybody and, and all of your hurts and embarrassments brought out in front of... No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No. There's been times the Lord's dealt with me just to go stick money in somebody's coat when they wasn't looking, leave it in their car, and they didn't know who did it. They just have to say, well, the Lord gave it to me. And that's what it should be anyway. Amen. And yet, don't you misunderstand me? On the other hand, there's been times when I was led to go to somebody and let them know that it was me that gave it to them. So you need to be led. Now, you don't need to do anything for it to be noticed and seen. But on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with letting somebody know that you gave to them in the right circumstances. And it's nothing wrong with making a public pledge if it's in the right situation. But one of the big issues here is humiliating people, embarrassing people. If people are hurting, you need to minister to them in the best way that you know how, in the way that calls the least attention their way. Amen? Amen. And it's such a great blessing to them. And you'll be sowing good seed too. Because if you have needs in the future, you'll want your needs to be ministered to that way. Anyway, do you see that all this goes together? He said, you're not discerning the Lord's body. Now there's a twofold application here. First of all, we understand that He just got through talking about the bread, which represents the body. And we take the bread and we break it. And you know, there there are people all over the world that call themselves Christians that keep the Lord's Supper, as we call it, or observe communion. But did you realize that masses of people that do don't discern the Lord's body in the sense that He's talking, in one sense that He's talking about? If you stopped many people, while they were taking communion, just they, they were taking the cup and you stopped them, you said, wait a minute, what are you doing? And they said, well, I'm, I'm taking communion. And you said, why? Why? Some folk couldn't even answer you. They just said, well, I'm, I'm a so-and-so, that's what we do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, do you know how much good that's doing them? None. Be the same as if they wasn't even doing it. I know some folks might not like that, but it's true. See, we, we live under a new covenant where you don't just do things in the flesh. You're not made righteous by your works or by your ritual observances. It's faith yes. and being led by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's the Amen. things that counts in this new covenant. So if you don't know what you're doing and you don't do it in faith, then uh, you might as well not be doing it for all the good it's doing. But many people could say, they could say, well, this represents the blood of the Lord Jesus. You said, yeah, amen. What what about it? Well, that blood is shed for me for the remission of my sin. You say, yeah, amen, thank God, drink on. (laughs) And many people could tell you that. You see, some people couldn't tell you the first part, some people could tell you the next. But then when they lift up the the bread, they start to break it, and you say, wait, wait, what are you doing? 
We're talking about discerning the body. Discern means to understand, you see, perceive. What are you doing? Well, I'm breaking the bread. Why? What is it for? Well, the bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus. Amen. It does. What about it? Well, he died for my sins. Well, I thought you said the blood was shed for your sins. Well, it is. Well, so this is just redundant. Well, see, multitudes of people, they don't know. They don't discern the body. But praise God, we know. His body was broken so that our body could be whole. By His stripes, you were healed. Amen. Amen. But see, if you don't discern that, what good does it do you? See, if people really knew it, they, every time they took communion, they could receive healing. And should. If anything's wrong with them, they should receive healing when they take communion. You know, the Lord's led me to do that on more than one occasion. Where we would have a, a healing line and communion at the same time. And what we'd do is we would give all of the, uh, the people in the healing line their elements. And I'd come by with each one of them. And I'd say, you know, hold up your cup and testify. And so they'd hold up their cup and they'd say, this represents the blood that was shed for me. By this blood my sins are washed away and I'm clean and worthy to receive. And they'd drink it up. And then they'd hold up the bread and they'd say, this bread represents the body. It's broken for me. And they'd break it. And they'd say, his body was broken so that mine could be whole. And they'd take it. And when they put it in their mouth and started chewing it, I'd lay hands on them. And I'd say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I've seen people be ministered to powerfully that way. I've seen them be healed, you see. Amen. We're talking about discerning the body of Christ. So there is the sense in which we need to discern what the body of Christ means to us in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. His body was broken so that ours could be whole. And of course, you could teach on that the rest of the week, the redemptive work of Christ. Go back to Isaiah 53 and... Look at it verse by verse and realize that He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Amen. And with His stripes we're healed. But I really feel led to emphasize the other aspect of this to you. And that is this. We know that His physical body was broken for us. We need to discern that in the work of redemption. But also, I see an application here. Is that all of us are the body of Christ. And we need to discern not only the physical body of Christ that was broken, but we need to discern the body of Christ. And failure to discern the body of Christ can cause many to be weak and sickly and even die prematurely. Now see, now we're talking about relationships, aren't we? A lot of things here. So... This application that we need to look at has to do with the fact that Jesus is the head of this spiritual body, the church, and that all of us are individual members in the body of Christ. And see, when they came together to eat, when they saw bread, they just thought, bread, I'm hungry, let's eat. And they ate and even were gluttonous. And they were not discerning that, hey, this bread represents the body of Christ. They weren't doing that. But you see that, remember we talked about natural things that show spiritual things? That outward act of ignorance also portrayed a spiritual truth in that they were not considered of their brethren round about them. They weren't discerning the family of God. And he said, you're each one taking your own meal and you're shaming the poor. You're not considering your poor brother or your needy brother. All you're concerned about is yourself. They weren't discerning the body on two counts, were they? The physical body that the bread represented and the body of Christ that was round about them, their brothers and sisters. They weren't looking after them. They weren't thinking about them. They're just thinking about themselves and their own lusts and appetites. Now, friend, you know, this is something that is so pertinent to the subject of healing. If you want to be healed and you want your faith to work and you want to be healthy and walk in health, you have to walk in love. It's just the truth. And you have 
to keep your relationships right with people. You do. Relationship problems can be the source of physical problems, and if not the source, they sure can aggravate physical problems and hinder people's reception and restoration. I know, you know, we've we've been involved in this for several years now, and in dealing with people that, that have had problems, and I know not just once or twice, but on many occasions, we've had to help people get their relationships reconciled before we could help them to get healed. Amen. Amen. Absolutely the truth. Had to help them get, you know, turn loose of grudges and forgive people and help them to see right, think right, understand their place, give other people their place, you know, get rid of the animosities and the problems that exist because as you'll see here as we in, in the scripture that we've been talking to you about, the head ministers to parts of the body through other parts of the body. Now I want you to go back with me over there to Ephesians again. I'm trying to lay a foundation for some things that we can work off of today and tomorrow as the Lord would lead. How many with me so far? You think this is important? I mean, this is something that Everybody can get something out of it. I mean, you know, if, if you think this doesn't apply to you, then you really are wrong. You just are thinking wrong altogether. Amen. Are you a part of the body of Christ? Yes. Have you ever had any challenges in relationships? Yes. Have you ever had any physical problems? Yes. yes. All of us have to say yes on all of those. Right? Amen. And there's some connections. Now, let's read this verse of Scripture again in verse 15 and 16 of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16. He said, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Truth in love. These are two of the most significant words you'll find. Truth and love. Now, we live in a new covenant, don't we? And in our new covenant... We have a new law, don't we? New command. What is that command? That you love one another. Isn't that right? Now, all of the blessings of Abraham belong to us through Jesus Christ. Is that right? Scripture teaches that in Romans 2 and Romans 9, Galatians 3 and different places that since we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have become the seed of Abraham. And therefore have inherited all the blessings of Abraham. All the blessings. And, praise God, have been redeemed from the curse of the law. And, of course, you know sickness and disease is part of the curse of the law. But, you know, if you go back and study the covenant that God made with Israel, and that covenant belongs to us today, we didn't lose anything by the coming of Jesus. Did we? No. You know, the Bible says our covenant's better than theirs. Isn't that right? We have a better covenant established upon better promises. Hebrews 8, 6 says. If I held up two bills before you today, I held up a $10 bill in this hand and a $20 bill in this hand, and I said, which one is better? What would you say? I got a 10 over here and a 20 right here. Which one is better? Some of you look like you don't know. Let's, let's go over this real slow. I got a 10, $10 bill. Ten. A ten. And I got a twenty in this hand. Which one's better? Twenty. Twenty is better. This is not a trick question. The twenty is better. I guarantee you, if I held them both out to you and I said, pick one, I guarantee you which one you'd get. You'd get the twenty. The twenty is better than the ten. Why? Because the twenty has got the 10 in it plus. Isn't that right? You know why our covenant's better than theirs? We got all the blessings of healing and prosperity and protection and everything they had plus. 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 Our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
we got the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. We got authority in the name of Jesus. We got the Spirit of God upon us to be powerful with it. Plus, plus. But you understand what I'm saying? We didn't lose anything by the coming of Jesus. No, all those things belong to us. But you'll notice if you go back and study Exodus 15, 26, and Exodus 23, and Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 28, all the different places where you see the covenant established concerning healing, he said, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, then I'll be the Lord that heals you. If you obey me, I'll take sickness out of the midst of you. If you hearken diligently unto my commands, if you obey me, if, then all these blessings will come on you and overtake you. Everybody say if. 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 Then it went on down to you know, Deuteronomy 28.15. It said, but if you won't. Remember that? If you won't listen to me, then all these curses will come on you, including all the curses of sickness and disease. Now, some folks just look at that and say, well, that's Old Testament. That, none of that applies to us. Well, yeah, the principles are the same today. You mean there's an if still today? Yeah, there's an if. Today, there's an if. Healing, in one sense of the word, you could say healing is conditional. Not conditional upon works. But you see, they, under the Old Testament, they could forfeit their right to the blessings by not keeping their end of the covenant. See, a covenant, you know, is like a contract or an agreement. We've got our part, God's got His part. Their part was to obey the law, which included the Ten Commandments, all the ordinances and statutes and all of those things, you see. Well, today, we don't fulfill our end of the agreement by obeying the Ten Commandments or by keeping the ordinances and statutes. Under the New Covenant, the Bible tells us that all of our law, all of the law that was written to curb sin is fulfilled in this one that you shall love. Amen. 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 So the if still stands today, but the condition is not keeping the commandments. The condition over in 1 John 3, it talks about it, 21, 22, along in there. It says, if our hearts don't condemn us, then we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask of Him, we receive. Because we keep His commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. This is New Testament, 1 John 3. Because we keep His commandments, do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And it went on to say, and this is His commandment. What is it? This is New Testament, 1 John. What, what does it say? This is His commandment that we believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another as He gave His commandment. You see, we could really sum up all of the fulfillment of our requirements under the New Covenant in those two words. Believe and love. Faith and love. Well, what are you supposed to believe? Well, you believe in Jesus, but did you notice here He said speaking the truth. Jesus is the truth. What are you supposed to believe? The truth. And when we say the truth, we're talking about a person. Jesus is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. Amen. But you see, under the new covenant, if we want to walk in health and in the blessings of God, we have to keep our part of the bargain by walking in faith and love. Now, I think that this, is, this may be an area that some folk haven't emphasized maybe as much as they should have. They just said, well, we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Uh, by his stripes, we're healed, and that's the end of it. Well, yeah, re- as far as our redemption is concerned, that's true. But you can forfeit your rights to that by refusing to walk in love. The Bible says love works no ill to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I like things simple, don't you? Amen. In other words, you got to treat people right. Amen. Amen. If you want to be healed and you want to walk in health, you've got to treat people right. You can't just treat people wrong and run over people and be selfish and, and not think about anybody but yourself and walk in health and healing. It's going to hinder you. You can't just hold grudges and harbor, you see, animosity and ill will and you you know here's something that might be more obvious to you you can't live in an environment full of tension I knew you'd understand that how many realize that that takes a toll on you serious toll 
You can't, you just can't live in an environment of constant friction and tension and maintain good mental and physical health. It wears on you. You might do pretty good. You might withstand it for a while, but it'll begin to wear on you. And you know, sometimes people like to act like, well, you know, uh, family life and marriage and home and kids and these kind of, those are natural things, you know. We're interested in spiritual things. Let's go have a meeting. And really, sometimes people try to play escapism. You know what I'm saying? You know, they, they, they call themselves being spiritual. But really, they're chicken to confront their problems. And instead of having to get down to, to the basics of dealing with a, a marital problem or a child problem or a problem between parent child, whatever the case might be, or a problem with a friend or brother or sister or a pastor or a leader, whatever the case might be, instead of dealing with those things, they say, well, i got to go pray. And run, shut their self up, you see, and be by the Or, well, i got to go to a meeting. And what they do is try to get off in a meeting and forget. You see, just praise the Lord and, and hear your good preaching and teaching and, and get in the healing line three or four times a week and, and just maybe, maybe get a buzz here and there and, and just, you know, forget about it. And, and I have actually seen people that just virtually forsook their husband or wife and children and followed meeting after meeting after meeting and and, and, and so-called was praying and studying all the time and, and didn't have time. And the thing about it, they deceive themselves into thinking they're spiritual. They are not spiritual. They're cowards. Are you listening? There are times when you just have to deal with things. And friend, there is nothing, there is nothing more spiritual than getting through to God and getting answers and getting things worked out in your marriage and in your home. Those are the greatest victories there are. If you walk in love with your spouse and with your children and with your parents and with your mother-in-law and brother-in-law and sister-in-law and daddy-in-law, you can walk in love with anybody, anywhere. It's the truth and you know it. I mean, the real challenges are at home. You know, I've seen I've seen people more than more than one situation. Well, for oh, they're going to run over to India or Africa. They're going to save the world. And you almost want to say, chicken, go home, minister to those heathen kids of yours. Are you listening? I didn't intend to talk like this, but I mean, we need to think about this, don't we? We need to think about these things. That's the reason why folk are having some of the problems that they're having. Don't be a coward. Don't run from things. A lot of times, the longer you cover them up and run from them, the worse they get. The harder they are to overcome. Deal with things. Learn how to deal with them. Amen. Now, read this verse again. Now, I'm going to read it to you from one of these other translations in verse 16. Speaking the truth in love, it said that we might grow up in Him in all things, which is the head even Christ. Verse 16 in another translation, it says, For from Him the whole body, closely joined and knit together by the contact of every part with the source of its life, derives its power to grow. Now listen to another one. It says, The whole body, its various parts closely fitting and firmly adhering to one another, grows by the aid of every contributory ligament. Another one said, It's joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied. Now here's the thing. Well, before, before I say this, go with me to Romans 13. I think you get more out of some of these things if you look at this verse first. Romans chapter 13. In Romans, let's skip on down to verse 10. 
Romans 13.10, it says, Love works no ill to his neighbor. Did you see that? Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is always concerned about the other fellow, not concerned about yourself. Did you say, Brother Keith, that we're not supposed to keep the Ten Commandments now? Well, no need to look at it like that. The issue is, if you walk in this love law, it supersedes these things. It's a higher standard. You don't need a list of do's and don'ts if you're governed by love and if you're led by the Spirit. A man or woman that is governed by love and led by the Spirit, you don't have to tell them, thou shalt not lie. Because lying to people is injurious to them. And deceives them, and you're not going to do anything to hurt anybody. You don't have to tell somebody, thou shalt not commit adultery. Because you know that adultery hurts people. You understand? You don't have to tell somebody that because love won't do that. I said love won't do that. Somebody said, well, you know, the reason I got involved with her or him is because of love. No. Uh Uh-uh. Love wouldn't do that. The thing is, people don't know what love is. They really don't. They think love is a feeling. No. Love is more an act than it is a feeling. If you walk in the act of love enough, it will produce feelings. But see, people think that their feelings of lust are love, and it's not. If you really were motivated by love, you'd never do anything that hurts somebody else. Hmm. See, what these people are talking about is love of self. You know, people say this sometimes. They say, you know, I love you. I need you. That's not divine love. That's human fleshly self-love that any sinner has. I love you, I need you. I love you, I want you. I love you, I need you. That's self-love. What you're really saying is, I love how you make me feel. I love what you do for me. Which, if you boil it right down, it means, I love me. Do you realize that masses of folk, even many, many Christians, don't really understand what divine love is? I love, I need, I love, I want, is self-love. Sinners know about that. But the God kind of love is, I love, I give. Amen. God so loved the world that He had a special feeling. No. No, see, love is not just a special feeling. God so loved the world that He gave. Amen. So divine love gives and ministers to the object of its love. Isn't that right? If you love somebody, you want to bless them. You want to minister to them. You don't want to see what you can get from them. If you really love them, you don't care whether you get anything from them or not. Now that really separates the real from the false, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You know, folk that wind up in the divorce court all the time. Those folk hear the same kind of things all the time. What's wrong? Why are you here? Well, we don't love each other anymore. What do you mean? Well, I just don't, I've lost all my feelings for him. I don't have any feelings for her anymore. See, feelings, feelings, feelings. Never knew what love was. And then they begin to say, well, I have needs. And he doesn't meet my needs. Well, he says, well, I have my needs too. You ever thought about I have needs? This is what sinners say. And sad to say, many Christians too. Saying the same thing. Well, I have my needs. I need you to do this. I need this from you. I need this emotional attention. And I need this this and that and this and that. I need. He's saying, I need. She's saying, I need. Nobody's giving anything. So there's nothing to receive. You understand? And that's why you have a vacuum and a terrible situation. 
and oftentimes a tormenting situation and a tense situation and people have all kind of resulting physical and mental problems from that kind of pressure. Why? Because they're allowing the enemy to work and cut off the connection that God would minister life and a supply of the Spirit to them through. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Now, chapter 14, he goes on talking about some of these things. And really, he's talking about receiving others that are weaker than you in the faith and not doing injury to them, but helping them. And he goes down in verse 7 to say this, of chapter 14. He says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Did you hear that? None of us live to ourselves. None of us die to ourselves. I like the Williams translation. It says, For none of us can live alone by himself. You know, there's a mentality that I sense the Spirit of God wanting to get across to us here today. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of perceiving. And it is that we renew our minds so that we don't think of our life as us. An individual. Me this and me that and I this and I that. But we begin to realize that we are not an island unto ourselves. We are a part of a whole. Amen. Amen. And realize that we cannot isolate ourselves from the rest of the body. And so that we don't try. But that we begin to realize and be conscious of our place in the body. And learn to receive through the parts of the body that God's joined us to. And learn to minister to the parts of the body that God allows us to. Oh, there's so much truth here. I got got many things, as I said, I want to get to. You know, talking about the parallel of how the body ministers to itself. and, And some things that we can learn from the natural. But you know, there's been a an all-out attack of the enemy on families. Because the devil knows, he knows that if he can destroy the family unit, he can destroy the church. Now we already know ahead of time that the gates of hell shall not prevail. So that means that God is not going to allow that to happen. Amen. But you and I need to not be ignorant of his devices. We need to be knowledgeable and we need to know how to work to prevent the devil from having access into our lives. Amen. Amen. I come from a very family-oriented family. I mean, family was family. It was, it was, it was really, it was even perverted, to tell you the truth. What I mean by that is this. I mean, family was family. And I don't care if they were wrong, they're still family. And you stand up for them, whether they're wrong or right, you back them up. Now, this is an old colloquial expression. It says, like a husband and wife, you know, they say, if he lied, she'd swear to it. <laughs> now, do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, even if they're wrong, you're supposed to back them to the nth degree. But see, that's not right. If folk are wrong, they're wrong. But there are some good elements of that. I mean, we were a family like my, and my granddad's family. They had big family. I forget how many. It's like, what was it, 13, 14 kids. And my grandma's family was a big family like that. So we had a lot of aunts and uncles. And we'd always have reunions. We'd have dinners on the ground and build tables outside, you see. And I mean, big family gatherings. And everybody would sing and everybody would talk and eat and, and eat and, and eat. <laughs> and just, just big family things. And I mean, I, I don't know how many people would be at a family together, and there's nobody there but family. Family. I mean, this is not just a, a community deal. It's a family deal. And it looks like a community deal. Because there are people everywhere. I mean, yeah, it's a crowd. But you know, just in the years since I have grown up, I'm talking about when I was a boy, you see. And since I've grown up, I have seen that deteriorate. Until my mom's side of the family was the, the niece family, and my dad's side was the Moore family, and we had equally big gatherings on both sides. I mean, you know, it was, it was about four or five major events every year, family-type deals. But I've seen that deteriorate until the last few years, they hardly have enough people come to, uh, to have it. 
to warrant even having it. Probably many of you could say similar things. And it's not because everybody has died or passed away. You know what one of the biggest reasons is? People have become so self-centered until they, they've isolated themselves from other parts of the family. they got their own life. They're doing their own things. And they just say, well, it's, you know, it's not important. You know, that's not a big... I don't have time for that kind of stuff. And, and the, fam- the larger family has disintegrated. Did you know what the number one enemy of the family of God, the number one enemy of the body of Christ is? It's not the devil. It's selfishness. The devil is the number two enemy. Did you hear me? Now that's something to think about. The number one enemy of the body of Christ is selfishness. Selfishness is the carnal nature of the flesh. Selfishness is something every one of us has to contend with and deal with. You can almost deceive you. Well, not almost. You can deceive yourself about this and not realize how much time you spend thinking about guess who? <laughs> kind of like the TV channel selector. Most people's selector stays on channel me. It really does. I mean, even the commercials are about me. There are many series about men. Movies about men. Everything, yeah, me, 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 me. Do you realize? Probably not, but you ought to start thinking about it. You know, just come sometimes, sneak up on yourself. Come in the back door of your mind and see what's playing on the screen. And I mean time after time, guess what it'll be? It'll be me reruns. That's a problem. I said, that's a problem. That's a problem. Friend, I don't know if you see the connection yet, but that is a big hindrance when it comes to being healed and walking in health. Now, we're going to go ahead and close here today. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.